I have no control over that. <laughs> I'm, I'm generally loud anyway, but go ahead and turn me down a little bit more. How's that? Uh, a little bit more even. Um, still more. We're, it's really loud. Okay, we're still loud, aren't we? Okay. <laughs> now we're not loud at all. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> but in Turkey, they would say, no problem. <laughs> oh, uh, I just want to mention to you, Andrew Brunson's wife, Noreen, she's been released. He's still in custody. Um, hopefully, and we need to pray about that, that they'll drop the charges. They're bogus anyway. Uh, and, you know, because what they're really uh, pushing for now is to get Americans uh, out of Turkey. That's what they're really pushing for, especially uh, because we share the gospel. All right? So... Um, before I get started, how many of you know there are just a few days before you vote? And here's what I'm going to say to you. Like, like Dr. Tanya said last week, for most of us, this is pushing us out of our comfort zone. But I want to tell you something. Operate outside your comfort zone and vote. Okay, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm just going to tell you to vote, because over the years, men and women have given their lives for the privilege that we have to vote. In other countries around the world, they wish they could vote. I, I promise you the people in Cuba wish they could vote. And so what I'm saying to you is vote. Vote your conscience. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know that's hard. But, but vote, all right? Cast your, your ballot for the person that you would like to see elected as the next president of the United States. All right, if you have your Bible or your electronic gadget, uh, if you have version, uh, turn there to 2 Peter. I think it was in the, uh, on the, the Bible thing, right? Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at the first 15 verses. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this. This is a letter from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's very interesting. He's a slave. You know what that means? He has a master. He wants the people that he's writing to understand he has a master, and the master is Jesus Christ. It says slave and apostle. So not only is he a slave, but he is sent out by Jesus. That's what apostle means, the sent out one. So here he is, he's writing to these folks, and he says this. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. The same precious faith. That means he's writing to people that are supposed to have the same master. They're to be slaves also, he says, this faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now, some of you, it says, 
to you in the righteousness. But really, justice and fairness is a good translation because what it's talking about, when it talks about faith here, it's talking about salvation. That's what it's talking about. Now, how many of you know that salvation cost Jesus his life? That's why it's talking about justice. The justice of God demanded that Jesus die for our sins. How many of you know that? See, the justice of God demanded that Jesus died because there had to be a way for us to be forgiven. And so he says, this faith was given to you. It's a gift from God. You can't earn it. How many of you know this? You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It's been given to us through Jesus Christ. And it says, our God and Savior. That's an unusual combination. See, because it says our God and our Savior. What does that tell you? That Jesus is God. You know, can you imagine outside of Christianity what you have to do to twist that? And there's a lot of people that try to do that. And so it says, Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. And he goes on to say, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. How many of you in here need more and more grace. I do. Now, how many of you are willing to extend more and more grace to the people that you don't like? If you need grace and you know Jesus, how much more do they need grace? And so he's writing this, and I know it's a, a, it's a usual kind of opening for a letter, but one of the words that, that you should notice is knowledge of God. Because in, in 15 verses, he's going to use the word knowledge and know four times. Now, just in the law of repetition, that means it's important. And, and three of them are the same word. One is a little bit different. And it's not just having a thinking about God. When it's talking about the knowledge of God, it's talking about a relationship with God. You know him cognitively but you've experienced him experientially. They go together. In Christianity, they're not separate. They are not separate. Cognitive knowing, experientially experiencing God, that's knowing. That's what knowing is all about. Now, I'm going to want you to jump down to, chat, to verse 12. We're going to do this a little bit differently, but then you expect that from me anyway, so... It says, therefore, I always remind you about these things, even though you already, what? Know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. What's he doing? He's reminding them of things that they already know. All right? That's the purpose that he's writing here. And it said, it is only right that I should keep on reminding you, keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ has shown me that I must leave this early life soon. In other words, he's going to die. All right? And so he's prepared for this. So he says this, 
So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. What's he going to do? He's going to work hard to make sure that they remember the things, that they know those things. Again, cognitively and experientially. And so what is it he's reminding them of? That's what we're going to look at in the rest of that. Those verses 3 through 11. He says, By His divine power, God has given you everything you need for a godly life. Did you hear that? God has given you and me everything we need for a godly life. How much has He given us? Everything we need. How much has He given you to live a godly life? Everything you need. So the next time you say that you need this, you're wrong. He's already provided everything you need for a godly life. It says, by His divine power. What is that divine power? The same power that said, let there be and there was. That's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a little bit of juice. All right? It's more like, see, if I go over here and I, I, I take this off and, and I untwist the wires, how many of you know I can touch one of them and I'm okay? But if I touch both of them at the same time, what's it going to do? It's going to give me a little jolt. All right? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking more like this. You go out there and you jump on the high-tension wires and you grab them. Now what's going to happen? Not a little jolt. You're going to be fried to a crisp. That's what we're talking about here. When he talks about the divine power, we're talking about Almighty God, the same God that spoke everything into existence. That's the power. And what's that power done? It's given you and me everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. What does that mean in the world that we live in in 2016? Oh, I know. We could be like the Cubans. It's complicated. It is complicated. But what were, the, what were the sayings that they had? In the complicated situations of life, who was going to see them through? God, that one whose divine nature has given them everything they need. You short anything? Are you short of anything you need? Some of you are thinking, well, yes, I am. I'm talking in the spiritual dimension. Are you short of anything you need? Okay, I got as much time as you do. So I'm going to ask you again. Because, Rick, that was even more pathetic than the response in worship. I'm going to ask you, do you have everything you need to live a godly spiritual life? Absolutely. 
And here's the reason that I want you to say it like that is this. Because this afternoon after you leave church, all hell could break loose. Oh, if it doesn't happen this afternoon, it'll be tomorrow or the next day, but it's going to happen. And the enemy's going to come and say things to you like you're not worthy or you're a failure or look at this or look at that. And what are you going to say? Is that what you're going to say? Yes, that's what we should say. That's not what we always say, is it? But it is the truth, isn't it? No weapon formed against us can prosper. Is that the truth? Okay, then we've got to live as if that is the truth. If we expect people to understand that we live under the divine nature of God and He's given us everything we need, they need to see that in our life, don't they? Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? No. You want to find out how imperfect I am? Just ask Jan. No, seriously. But what it means is there's no excuse for the foolish things that I do. No excuse whatsoever. And so he goes on. We have all received of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself. Think about that with me. You didn't just wake up one day and decide, you know what? I'm going to be a Christian today. God's been calling you all along. If you're here this morning and you have not responded to God, He's calling you. You're not here by chance. You think, well, I saw that sign out there and I thought, well, I'll just stop in there. If you stopped in here, there's a reason you're here. Because God's calling you. He says He calls us to know Him by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. Do you know, Moses came down off the mountain and he had to put a veil on. Why? The glory. But the thing of it is, the glory was going to fade. Now it says, Paul says, that we with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. And so just think about that. You and I have beheld the glory of God, and where are people going to see that? In us, in our lives, the way that we live. And and so that's that's what he's talking about here. And he says, and because of this glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises And if you know there, he never goes on to tell us what they are. You know, if you want to know what those great and precious promises are, just open the book. All right? That isn't his point, though. The point that he's making is the great and glorious promises that we have are based on the relationship that we have with God. God's given us what? Everything, right? And so what we have available to us is all that God offers. And so those are the excellent and precious promises that he's made. And it says this, These are the promises that enable you to share in his divine nature. Now, 
you're not going to become God. For some of you, you think you are. But it's not true. You become like him. How do you become like him? What does he look like? We're all different. What's he look like? What's he look like? He looks like Jesus, okay. What's Jesus look like? He looks like God. Yes, thank you. That's true, he does. What he's talking about is we become the very character of God. He gives us his character, his nature. We grow from grace to grace and glory to glory, ever becoming like him. And so what did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what the Father looks like. Just think about that. We're like, kind of like the moon. How many of you know the moon has absolutely no radiance of its own? When you look up there and you see a full moon, you know what that is? It's a reflection of the sun. And so that's what we are. We are a reflection of the sun. And so his grace and glory is seen through us. That's what the world is, is to see. And so it says, enable you to share in the divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Now, it's very interesting. When it says the world's corruption, how many of you know it doesn't just happen overnight? You saw those buildings in Cuba. They didn't deteriorate overnight. It's over 70 years that's happened. When it talks about their corruption, it's talking about something that begins to rot. And that's what it's talking about when it talks about corruption. And where does that rottenness come from? The enemy, somebody said. That's a true statement, but only partial. Where does it come from? It's right there in the text. It comes from human desires. What, is, what does James say about that? God never tempts us. It's our desires. And those desires, they, they, they want. And they want to respond. And when they respond, what happens? It results in sin. And sin leads to what? Death. That's what he's talking about, that. When he talks about corruption, that's exactly what he's talking about. That this human drive to have what you want. To have what you want. See, you can't really say this. The enemy made me do it. No. Do you know why you and I are sinners. You say, well, it was Adam and Eve. That's got the, that got the wheel started. But you and I are sinners because we've chosen to sin. That's it. Every one of us, somewhere along the line, has chosen to sin. You're going to be tempted this week to sin. 
It's the choice that you're going to make. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? Am I going to live according to his word? Am I not going to live according to his word? That's why he's inscripturated this. So that we know how to live. And so then what can we do? We can escape. How many of you, you notice this, that this escape process it's a, a, exactly that. It's a process. How many of you are ever tempted? Now, if you got your hands down, I just want to tell you this, you're a liar. <laughs> you just are. I mean, you know, I, I have people that over the years have come forward and they got something going on and they get prayed for and they think, boom, it's supposed to be gone. Now, sometimes that's true. But by and large, most of the time, what we have to do is continue to make good choices. You know? You ever, you ever, well, God, just bail me out. Sometimes he will. But we got to make choices. And here's the deal on choices. Choices don't just affect us. They affect everyone around us. When you make a choice, it's not going to just affect you. It's going to affect everyone around us. And so the way that we're going to escape this is not to allow those human desires to drive our life. Just like that. Simple, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like running a marathon. Now, the other day, I had a good week this week. Every day... I managed to get four miles in. Yeah, it was a wow, all right. Three times I ran and twice I walked. I'm going to tell you, by the time I got to the fifth four-day thing, four-mile thing, it was rough. It was, I mean, I wanted to stop after the first half-mile. And I hate it when I know that I've gone just a half a mile, and that means i got three and a half miles to go. I like it a lot better when I get to the point where I only have a quarter of a mile to go. I like that better. But so what I'm saying to you is life is challenging. It's not only complicated in Cuba, it's complicated for us. And we've got to make choices accordingly so that we can escape the corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort. Now, when it says make every effort, that means put a lot of energy into this, okay? Make every effort to respond to God's promises, How many promises does he have? You know what Paul says about God's promises? He says every promise that he's made finds us yes and amen in Christ Jesus. How many of those promises? All of the promises. Is that for me? Is that for you? Is that for people out there on the street? The promises 
are available. And so he says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. How many of you know this? And you've heard me say this a long time ago when I was in graduate school. Before I went to seminary, I had an RA there because I was a hall director. And he, he said this to me, and it's stuck with me ever since. He says, excuses are the tools used to, to build monuments of nothingness. And I want, you to, I want you to know this. God doesn't want you using those tools. You mess up, what do you do? Well, you, you blame it on your children or your parents or a fellow worker or your spouse. Right? Yeah. No, you know what that is? That is a tool used to build a monument of nothingness. God's not looking for you to use those tools. You know what he's looking for? Repentance. How many of you have had to repent lately? I want to tell you this. If you're here this morning and you're breathing, if you're not, you're dead. It doesn't matter at that point. If you're here and you're breathing, you will have to repent. You'll have to repent. You'll have to repent for some things that you've done, some things you said, some thoughts you may have had. Is that not true? For some of you go, no, that's not true. Then you're lying. It just says we do, we're, God, we get to repent a lot. I get to repent a lot. I really do. Yeah, yeah, at least every day. Sometimes it's more often than that. All right, he goes, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And then he says, and add to this relationship. Not to get the relationship. You've already got the relationship. Now you're going to supplement or you're going to add on to that relationship that you have with Jesus. And here's what you're going to add on. Moral excellence. Moral excellence. What is moral excellence? And how do we determine what moral excellence is? I, I, I want to tell you, I know that we live in a culture that says, you're okay, I'm okay. But that's not true. Any, any of you, you're okay outside of Jesus? No. No, you're not. And so it's not relative it's based on something, and that something that it's based on is the Word of God. How many of you know that in the culture that we live in, that they don't want to live by that standard any longer? That's the way things are, the reason they are. That's the reason the election that we're having this year is the way it is. You know, it's almost like judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's almost how we want to operate we want to do away with any standard of moral excellence. And the only standard that will result in moral excellence is this one right here. This is it. And so, okay, we're going to have moral excellence. And it's really a progressive kind of thing here. Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control. You know, my wife's working on that with me. I like Pepsi. 
My wife doesn't want me to like Pepsi. I like cookies, too, and brownies, and ice cream, and paydays. I mean, I just like them all. Yeah. Now, if, if she was offered me lemon meringue pie, that's all, that's all it would take. I, I don't like that. You know? But she's working on me and said, Dave, you really need to work on this. And, and I know she's right. It's just hard. And she's doing so good, she puts me to shame. Except, I got to say this, and she, she would say this, the reason that she doesn't want me to bring those things into the house is because she then doesn't have any self-control either. <laughs> you know, she does good as long as I have good self-control. When I don't have good self-control, she doesn't have good self-control, and then I get the blame for it. So she tells me, you got to do better. So I, I'm, I'm trying to. And then with self-control, patient endurance, with patient endurance, godliness, with godliness, brother, uh, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection leads to what? Okay, love what, though? Loving everyone. That's where this thing's going. This progressive move along the way is so that we can love everyone. How many of you are there? That's what I thought. Most of us aren't there. But that's, that's what's going on here. That's why it's a progressive kind of thing. And look what he says. The more you grow like this, like what? The more you grow to become like Christ, he says, the more what? The more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? What does he mean you're going to be more productive? You're going to bear more fruit, okay, based on your knowledge. What is that knowledge? What is it? Now, I, you, if you shake your head or you just move your mouth, I, I, I'm not a good lip reader. You have to say it loud enough I can hear you. What is it? You say... Dave, we were so glad when you retired. <laughs> because Andy doesn't ask the questions like you do. Did you think I was going to change? What is it we're talking about there? His purpose. Okay, yeah. More. We will become more productive and useful, and you will, be, you will be in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. What's he talking about? 
Okay. Putting on more of His character. We're becoming more like, do you understand? You begin to understand who God is. And then when you begin to understand who God is, you begin to understand who you are in God. And when you become, when you understand who you are in God, you know what you're going to do? You're going to produce fruit. You know why? It's just going to flow out of you. Remember that was about three weeks ago, Andy was talking about being and doing because all of a sudden you know who you are. And because you know who you are, you begin to do what you've been created to do. How many of you know we've been created to do good works? Who's been created to do good works? Which one of you in here? All of you. All right. What are those good works that you've been created to do? <coughs> John 14 says this, and Jesus says this, and you'll do what I did, and even what? Greater things. Who's going to do that? You're going to do that, right? Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked when I, got, when I preached over at St. Cloud was this. Okay, one of the statements of Vineyard is, everybody plays. Who does? Okay, let me ask you this. I don't even know you, do I? Met you today, didn't I? Are you, are you a believer? Okay, are you a player then? You are. Okay, he's a player. What do players do? They play, right? Did you guys say you're players? How many of you in here are a player? Oh, some of you, you're not going to raise your hand. Guess what? I just want to go back. His divine power, God has given us. Are you an us? Everything we need to do what? To be a player. That's what it's about. You and I have been called to be players. Players in the kingdom. You know, we get to do the stuff. Do you get to do the stuff? Michelle, do you get to do the stuff? Do you get to do the stuff? How about you? And you? That's my mom. She gets to do the stuff. Daniel, you get to do the stuff? We all get to do the stuff. Where do we get to do the stuff? Everywhere. That's right. Lowe's, Sam's, you know, Publix, Winn-Dixie, Walmart, in the neighborhood, everywhere, we get to do this stuff. How many of you are pumped up about the reality that you've been called to do this stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. I saw your hand back there, brother. That's good. All right. So we've been called to do this stuff, and we're going to be more useful and productive because we understand who we are. We understand who God is. We understand what he's about, what he's doing. Now, look at this, though. There's a but there. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their old sins. I want to ask you, have you been cleansed from your old sins? Have you? Okay. So he goes on. He's going to wrap this thing up, and so am I. So, dear brothers and sisters... Work hard. Do what? 
Work hard. What did he say before? Make every effort. What was John going to do? I mean, what Peter going to do? I will work hard to make sure you always remember those things after I'm gone. How many of you want people to remember the things that you stand for in the kingdom after you're gone? You know, one of the testimonies that Connie gives about Don is that he, before he passed into eternity, not even knowing he was going to pass into eternity, he shared the reality of what Jesus had done in his life. Now, whether, that, whether it changed that doctor's life at the moment or not, he heard the truth. He was confronted with the truth. That's part of Don's legacy. It is. It's just part of his legacy. And it's the same thing for us. And if we're not doing that, it says that we're short-sighted, that we're blind, that we're forgetting how we've been cleansed from our old sins. And, he, and, he, and so he says, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. There's something to this. How many of you know that Christianity and the life of a Christian is work? It's work. It's a gift of grace, but it takes work. Doesn't it? Because there's temptations all around us. Young people, there's temptations that you'll face left and right. Is that correct? But here's the beauty of it. His divine power has given you everything you need to live a godly life when the temptation comes along. And if you're a girl, when a boy says things that he shouldn't say, and he's lying. Because I want to tell you something. If he really loves you, he's not going to ask you to do things you shouldn't do. Because I've discovered this. There's no girl in the world that can get pregnant on her own. I had two boys. I told both of them that. And rarely is there going to be a girl that's going to rape a boy. It's just true. And so, young person, I want you to write this in your Bible. I want you to underline it. I want you to circle it. That by God's divine power, he has given you everything you need to live a godly life. And don't let the enemy convince you otherwise. Because he's a liar. You have everything you need. Same with you college students. You know, the whole rage out there is to see how much alcohol they can imbibe these days. And they're, and they're so foolish, they don't realize there's such a thing as alcohol poison. And it will kill you. But the thing is, no, 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 everybody's doing it. we got a party like this. Well, yeah. Let me ask you then, are you ready for eternity? Because you may be facing it. And everything else that's out there that you can make avail yourself to. See, the Internet is a good thing and it's a bad thing. You see, because you can do things in secret that you never could do before. But you know what? You're not doing them in secret. There's always trails. Somebody knows.
Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and what? Don't look at me like that. What's it say? (laughs) Do these things, and what? You will never fall away. Do these things, and you'll never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking, I know eschatologically, you know, that's end time stuff. You know, that's some big words that we can use. It just means last things, theology of last things. And he's talking about that. But I want to tell you something. When you became part of the kingdom, you entered into his glorious kingdom. Right? Because you, you, you said what? I'm a player. You entered into that glorious kingdom where he does kingdom stuff. And, and he uses us to do it. Now, how many of you, you, how many of you think that you're worthy of that? That's a lie. See, because that's what we think. I'm not worthy. We never will be on our own. But what did I say to begin? His divine power has what? Given us everything we need for what? A godly life. His what? Divine power has given me everything I need for a godly life. I want you to say that. God's divine power has given me everything I need for a godly life. Let me ask you this. Does that include all of the things of the kingdom? Does it? That means you've tapped into it? Working on it, okay? That's a good answer. It's there. It's available to you and to me. Okay, well, you know what? Let's test this thing out. What do you think? Okay, how many of you said you were players? (laughs) You said, well, wait a minute. If, yeah, roll the video back there. How many of you honestly, when I asked that question, you raised your hand that you were a player? Okay. You're going to get to play. How many of you came to church to play this morning? Wait a minute. I must have asked the question wrong. How many of you came to church to play today? Okay, I'm assuming the rest of you didn't come to play. But you told me that you were a player. Okay? Players play. Players play. Here's the problem. I really believe in the 21st century church. 
We have a lot of head knowledge, but we're not playing. It's easy to say everybody plays as long as I can send Gary in (laughs) or Ray or Teresa. But you're a player. Nikki, are you a player? Did you say you were a player? I'm just asking you, yes or no? Come on up here, player. (laughs) The rest of you are laughing. You're a player, right? No. No. (laughs) Did you say you were a player? No. You did not say you were a player. You lied. (laughs) Okay, well, we'll we'll say a prayer of repentance over you right now. But you're a player, aren't you? Okay, sure. (laughs) Okay. Uh, She's a player. How many of you believe she's a player? All right. Wait a minute. How many of you believe she's a player? Okay. Anybody here, you have something wrong in you physically? You do, don't you? Well, get up here. Okay, I'm going to have this player pray for you. You have a need. Yeah, it's your shoulder, right? Can't hardly move it. Okay, player, I want you to play. You go. Now, let me ask you this. You guys are players, aren't you? Nikki's up there. She's a player. She gets to play by herself. Who gets to play with her? All of you. I, I had this epiphany when we were in worship this morning. And this, how many of you have heard me say this at Lakeland Vineyard before? That if you're on the leadership team, you have the green light. How many of you have heard me say that? Here was my epiphany. If you're in the kingdom, God's given you the green light. You have the green light to function in kingdom authority. I want you to say that I have the green light to function in kingdom authority. And I want you to say this too. When the enemy comes against you and tells you that you can't function in kingdom authority, he's a liar. And you need to tell him he's a liar. Because if you don't, you'll never function in kingdom authority. And all you'll ever say is, you know what? As a vineyardite, I get to play, but I'm never going to play. I get to do this stuff, but I'm never going to do this stuff. Okay. If you're here, besides Connie, and you got something that you need prayer for, I want you to stand up right where you're at. All right, now, how many players do I have here? Players, I want you to get up out of your seats, and I want you to go to some people that are standing. If you were standing, I want you to raise your hand, because now everybody's standing. (laughs) Raise your hand. That means that you want prayer. Teresa right there needs prayer. And besides Ray, I want Ray to go someplace else and be a player. Okay? Right there. If you see a hand, I want you to go to that person. And I don't want it to be your spouse. Okay? 
go to that person and begin to play. And guess what? It doesn't have to be long playing. Just there's some more people. If they got their hands up, I want you to go to them. I want you to ask them what it is that they need prayer for, and then I want you to pray over them. Ask them what it is. Ask them what it is they need prayer for. Okay, how are we doing over here? <laughs>